so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. Welcome to the Digital Public Square, a podcast from the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission about ethics, theology, and philosophy in today's society. I'm your host, Jason Thacker, and I serve as Chair of Research and Technology Ethics and also help lead the ERLC Research Institute. Each week, I'm joined by some of society's most influential thinkers, writers, and leaders to talk about the important ideas shaping our society today, as well as some of the top issues of life in the digital public square. Our goal with this podcast is to equip you to navigate these issues with biblical wisdom and insight. As always, alongside this podcast, we also have the Weekly Tech Newsletter that you can sign up to receive each Monday morning. This resource is designed to prepare you to think deeply about the pressing ethical issues of technology, as well as life in the digital public square. You can subscribe now at jasonthacker.com slash weeklytech. In today's episode, I'm joined by Ronnie Martin to talk about his new book with Donnie Griggs entitled Pastoring Small Towns from B&H Publishing. Today, we talk about the unique opportunities as well as the challenges of pastoring in small-town life in rural areas, as well as the role of technology plays in shaping the culture of small-town churches. Ronnie is the founder and lead pastor of Substance Church in Ashland, Ohio. He holds a Master of Arts degree from Trinity Evangelical Divinity School and is currently finishing his doctorate in ministry at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. He's also Director of Leader Renewal for Harbor Network, where he works alongside church planners and pastors in areas related to pastoral care. Well, Ronnie, thank you so much for joining us today here on the Digital Public Square. I've long known of your work, especially your involvement with Harbor Network, and I'm really excited to talk about your new book, Pastoring Small Towns, that was recently released with B&H Academic. I know you co-wrote this book with Donnie Griggs, and it's just a really encouraging resource, I think, for many times where what feels at times to be kind of the forgotten pastor or the forgotten churches, um, especially in our rural areas. And that's something that not only do I live in a more rural area, but then also just loving these uh, these brothers and sisters who are ministering in these small towns um, and some of the unique challenges. But before we dive into that, I'd love to hear a little bit about your background, kind of your background, a little bit of your story, and kind of this path that ended up in pastoral ministry in a more rural area. Yeah, well, yeah, it's interesting. Um, I, I always think it's interesting because it feels like God tends to put people in places that aren't maybe the most natural fit. Um, for them and me ending up kind of doing small town, more rural ministry would, would be that. Cause I, I grew up in uh, Southern California. I was born and raised in SoCal, which is really um, the, the areas that I lived in were more suburban. So I, I grew up a little more in that culture. And then 13 years ago, again, a very long story, but we just felt like the Lord was moving us to um, a small town here in Ohio called Ashland which is right kind of a midway point between Cleveland and Columbus. So we're about 45 minutes to an hour between each of those, those major cities. And um, 
again, through a bunch of uh, strange circumstances, which is really how everybody gets into ministry, it feels like. Um, we ended up planting a couple churches, and here we are, you know, all these years later, um, really in a scenario that I, I got to tell you, it was something that appealed to us a long time ago because I had done a lot of traveling in the music industry. That's my background, uh, making records, producing records, touring on records. And so I passed through a lot of small towns in my time on the road. And I always had um, just a kind of an intrigue and a fascination about what it would be like to live in that kind of a culture within that context, having come from Southern California, which is, you know, it, it never slows down. The weather is the same all year round. And um, to get into a scenario where uh, the, the, the weather ebbed and flowed, it was a much slower lifestyle, always was really intriguing to us. And so at some point, uh, some doors opened and the Lord just kind of got us into this uh, particular scenario, but never anticipated it. And I'm still still learning about it, still growing in it. And so the, the book probably reflects that a little bit, too. Yeah, it's really interesting as you kind of think about kind of demographic studies, even over the last decade or so. It's interesting to note how many people either grew up in a small town or even currently living in a small town, because we've seen, especially kind of post-pandemic, post the COVID uh, pandemic, that is, a lot of remote work and a lot of availability of that. And so it's really interesting to me. I actually saw a study not too long ago that there was a significant increase of population into even places like Louisville, which aren't your kind of major, major metro markets. And even out into the suburbs and out in kind of the country area where land is coming, it's becoming kind of quite expensive, actually, for kind of the appeal of small town. I know there's a lot of appeal, obviously. You have a slower pace of life. Obviously, you get to know people a little bit better. But small town ministry has not only a lot of opportunities and upsides, but also a significant amount of challenges, much not that dissimilar to big city life in some sense. There's a lot of benefits, but there's also some challenges. I'd love to hear a little bit about the background of the work, kind of what prompted you all to co-write a book like this and what was kind of your overall goal? Yeah, well, you know, I I met, I don't remember how I met Donnie. Donnie and I met each other, Donnie Griggs, the co-author. And um, I don't even, I honestly, this was a few years ago, so I don't remember exactly the moment that we met. But I remember um, we had already met and um, we'd already had a bunch of dialogue. And Donnie was doing, he was speaking in Indiana, which is just kind of our next door neighbors here. He was a couple hours away. And I said, hey, why don't you cruise by? And I spent a couple of days uh, on the back end of your trip, if you can. And, and he goes, no, I'd love to. We need to connect. And I, I can show you my town, my church. And you know, So we'd already had a lot of conversations about small town uh, pastoring and churches. And we compared our context. His context is a little bit different. I kind of have this classic mid-Ohio small town kind of situation. He is more of a, he's on a coastal East Coast town. Um, so it's still a small town, but it's very different. And it kind of... Again, shows you the diversity in small towns. You know, small towns are all over the map. So you don't just say small town and one image comes up. They're, they're all over the place. And so we were fascinated by that, you know, given our different context. So he comes by and we spent a couple of days just chatting about ministry and challenges. And um, two things happened. One, we were both really encouraged because you know, networks like Acts 29 have started, you know, the, the rural collective, if that's what it's called. So there's, there's a new emphasis on small town ministry. So we were encouraged by that. We were also encouraged by some of the books that had been coming out about, you know, not ignoring small towns and, you know, hey, we need, we need to not only plant in, in the cities, 
you know, um, but we also need to, you know, make sure that we're intentionally planting small towns and, and not using it as a, uh, a stepping stone to get to the city or get, or get to something bigger and quote unquote better or, or more opportunistic. Um, but to actually see it as the place that God has, has brought me, you know, maybe not forever, but just as a, as a place to settle into and uh, to, uh, you know, to minister. And so we said, we're encouraged by those two things. Uh, what we're not seeing is anybody writing anything to small town pastors that are already, you know, in the trenches and who are just isolated, who don't have a lot of friends, who don't have a lot of networking or connections and who go to a lot of the conferences and they're, they're just never being addressed and um, in their context. So I, I said, what if, what if we wrote a book that just encouraged uh, small town pastors? And so we just got to talking about that. And, uh, you know, one thing led to another and uh, opportunity came up to write. So yeah, that, that's a snapshot. Well, it's, it's a wealth of resource, especially as you mentioned for small town pastors who kind of feel isolated. We'll get to that here in a little bit of some of the isolation that comes along with small town ministry. Um, but one of the things that I, over the last couple of years, I was really honored to be able to serve alongside a group of Southern Baptists uh, who are adopting a resolution honoring and highlighting the faithful work of small town rural pastors, um, often uh, for seemingly forgotten or feel that they're forgotten, which is interesting to note, especially in large denominations, because often rural pastors make up the majority of pastors, also make up the majority of church members as well as churches. But we saw, especially kind of in the 90s and early 2000s in terms of church planning, you kind of mentioned this, an emphasis on big city, big areas, kind of big metropolitan areas. But in the last few years, we've started to see this shift. And that was something that was a real honor for me to be able to serve alongside these Baptists and encouraging small town pastors to say, hey, we see you. You're doing faithful and good work. And we encourage more people to join you in these small towns, as we've kind of mentioned with more people moving into these small towns as well. I want to hear a little bit, and you've kind of referenced it a little bit with the isolation and others, but what are some of the unique challenges that small town pastors face? And what are some of the misunderstandings that people who may not live in those areas, what are some of the maybe misunderstandings or misconceptions that they have about small town life and, and small town ministry? Yeah, you know, I, you got to generalize a little bit. So I, I think, you know, I, I'm going to have to generalize because I, I think, you know, you, you kind of step back and kind of look at it as a whole. It's the best we can do with that. Because I honestly think there is a, there's a, uh, there's a diversity when we talk about small towns, we talk about small town ministry. But and on a general level, I think what you're talking, there's a couple of things that always come to mind. Uh, isolation is definitely one of those, those things, you know, you, you just, you know, people live in small towns for the purpose of being isolated in some ways. They, they don't want to be in a, in a crowded area. Um, they want a slower pace of life. They, they don't want to have, you know, a person, you know, at, at the corner of their elbows, you know, just kind of crowding them in. So there's a sense where isolation is desired in a small town um, in some ways. Um, and yet, you know, in terms of pastoring, that can become, that, that can become uh, crippling in some ways, you know, because you feel like I'm out here. And um, it's in some ways um, there can be challenges in connecting with people in small towns because their small towns are can be generationally stacked. So everybody's very family oriented. So developing friendships can be very challenging, you know, because everybody's with their families. And um, so friendships are are definitely a unique challenge. I think um, if you're somebody that's that hasn't grown up in a small town, um, like I, I like myself. You know, I think there's a slowness that can be both 
I think it can be really great on one hand. It can, it can also be very frustrating if you're not, if you're not anticipating it. Right. And so I think this idea of saying, Hey, we're going to come in and we're going to do this big splash of a church plant. And it's, it's, um, we're going to, we have all these ideas, you know, we're just going to be, um, taking the small town for Jesus. You know, I think that's a mentality that a lot of people in small towns don't appreciate. They like their slower pace of life. They're not looking for you to do anything uh, fast and famous. Um, but they, um, so that can be frustrating, especially if you are somebody who is like, well, I would, I would definitely like to build some things here and grow some things here. Well, you can, but it's, it's just going to take time and, and you need to allow it to take time. So I think slowness, patience, isolation, and um, I, I definitely think those are some of the uh, some of the big challenges. And just uh, this idea of wanting to be known, um, I think, is is incredibly challenging. You know, I, some of the, you know, especially when I think you get up to some of these Midwest areas, there's a, um, you know, there's a personality type here, which is people hold themselves, they hold everything very close to the vest, and um, there's a resilience there, um, but it's also uh, it, they, they keep themselves relationally distant. You know, um, so people aren't used to, you know, being as, as vulnerable. They're, they're not used to talking about their feelings as much. And so um, that creates a lot of challenges for pastors, you know, who want to get in. They want to get to know people. Um, they want to create a community of, you know, like-mindedness and where people are serving one another. And there needs to be some vulnerability involved for that to happen. So, again, that's part of the slow work of, I think, pastoring a small town. That coming into it, if you're coming into it with different expectations, you know, it can be very difficult. You can, you can become disillusioned and just think, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I'm not, I'm not seeing a lot of fruit and it's, it's been a couple of years and um, I don't know if, if, uh, if the Lord's really at work here and I, I don't know that I'm feeling like my work is, is, is having much of an impact and you, you have to give it time. And I think that's, I think that's difficult. Yeah. Yeah, I think kind of corresponding with that idea of patience that you're mentioning is that that expectation, setting expectations. I think a lot of times, especially uh, with church planning, but really pastoring in general, is that there can feel like there's this competition or we feel like we have to have the numbers and the bigger numbers mean the greater success in some ways. And I remember an article from years ago, actually, uh, read through my local church uh, here in Louisville. Now that we've moved back, I remember they were talking about faithfulness um, and being committed rather than just this sense of like numerical growth can actually be a sign of success. Ministry success is just being faithful because there is not only that slower pace of life, but also those expectations that, you know, if you have a town of a few hundred, you're not going to have a church of a few thousand. It's just physically impossible. You just don't have that opportunity because of the number of people in there. But also it's kind of interesting to note, especially growing up in a small town, and now we kind of reside outside the city of Louisville, um, about 30, 45 minutes outside. There are a lot of small churches many of which some of, well, I'll say some of which are actually struggling. Others are being replanted and revitalized. And there's just this really sweet work. So it doesn't always have to be, quote, church planting per se. It can also be revitalization and kind of that restorative, kind of rejuvenating type of influence in the local church. I know one of the things that we've talked, you mentioned with isolation. I think a lot of people kind of say, well, we don't live in a really isolated world anymore in some sense. We have social media, we have the internet, we have connectivity. Interestingly enough, though, in terms of often in rural contexts, I remember it was just actually about maybe six or eight months ago my in-laws who live about 45, 50 minutes outside of Louisville, so a pretty pretty good haul, um, didn't have high-speed internet. 
that was actually something that they didn't have and just recently got in the last few years. So the idea of doing a video call or uh, having streaming television or even social media was very difficult, actually, for them. But as we've seen kind of a push with greater access to broadband and others, we do kind of have this ubiquitous medium of social media. And it's interesting, as I've done a lot of research and work and writing in this area, to note and talk to pastors in big cities and small towns who say, man, social media has really changed the state of ministry in many ways, because we're one sense more connected than ever, but in some sense, we're also more isolated than ever. And there's that kind of interesting irony with social media. How do you see that? Maybe even in your own town, in your own church, the way that social media is shaping for good and for bad. Uh, But what are some of the unique challenges and even opportunities that social media affords when you're doing small town ministry? Yeah, I I think those are good points. You know, it's shrunk the world down for sure. You know, um, you know, everybody in our church is on Facebook. Everybody in our church is on Instagram. So there's a sense where um, a small town is not as small as it used to be. Um, You know, everybody has their MacBooks. Everybody's on social media. So, you know, when we all have these things that keep the world interconnected, um, it kind of changes, you know, how, how you really see where you are, see where you live, understand where you live. And how you even understand your relationship to the community that God has, has put you in, you know. So I think, so the upsides, we are a church that, that um, you know, we planted in 2013. And we had, um, social media for us was just a tool. And most of the people that planted with us on our core team were you know, really fluent on Instagram and Facebook and, you know, and those types of things. So I said, hey, I said, I don't really see, I don't really see a lot of churches utilizing this in our town. I go, let's use it. You know, um, this is a way for us to allow people to see it, see who we are. And so let's, let's post a lot of photos of, of our, of Sunday morning gatherings and other things that we do in the community, just to, just to give everybody kind of a snapshot of who we are and allow them to see who we are. And, um, that was invaluable for us. You know, a lot of people coming into the church, you know, saying things like, Hey, I've just been watching you on social media. You know, I've been out of church now for years, but I, I started seeing you guys pop up on social media and I've been intrigued and it took me 18 months and I decided to stop in. And, you know, this person has been a member of our church, you know, for the last four years now, you know? And so I think social media in that way has done, has done some really good things for us in terms of using it as a tool to let people know who we are, that, you know, we love the community. We're serious about the gospel and here's how the Lord is at work with what we're doing. And Hey, it's easy to come be a part of this, jump on in, you know, I think the downside of it, which, you know, I, I think the downside of it is probably the same downside that everybody else experiences, which is, I think social media has probably changed the way we do ministry a lot. You know, I think because we have such a, we get such a snapshot of what we perceive to be as people's lives, you know, within the context of social media, it allows us to, um, to not feel like we need to reach out as much reach out to people as much. A lot of our lives, a lot of our community is lived on social media. It's lived out on social media. You know, so if you talk to anybody that's planted a church in the last 20 years, you know, I mean, they're, they're probably going to tell you that even as they've gotten an established building and they've become, and they've grown a little bit, you know, the days of people stopping by the church and you need to have a full-time receptionist and to have an actual like landline for people to call the church. I mean, those days are just, they're, they're non-existent, right? We don't, we don't really live those kinds of lives, even in a small town. Well, why? Well, because social media has kind of replaced that need to say, 
hey, I just want to stop by the church today to see what's going on, to see how you guys are doing. Well, we have easier ways to do that in the comfort of our own living rooms right now. And so that's how we do it. So it's made it so that in terms of being a community and wanting to function like a, a community that's laid out for us in scripture means that we have to be incredibly in- intentional. And we have to say, no, 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 no. We have these things called community groups, or we have these moments where we all connect and we, we have these outreaches that we do with the community and with the town. And, you know, we got to, we sort of got to get out and do these things. And they're uncomfortable because social media has gotten us out of the practice of doing those things. And so um, I think those have been some of the challenges for sure, um, because social media f- fools you into it is a particular kind of community that's good. I think I would, I would, I would argue for that, but it's also not everything that community is supposed to be in terms of human interaction, flesh and blood, face-to-face community. We got to work harder to, to do that and to, and to get through some of the awkwardness of learning how to do that because of social media. Yeah. To kind of build on that point, one of the things that I've done a good bit of research on over the last few years is kind of the rise of misinformation, disinformation, fake news, conspiracy theories, and different things. We've seen kind of how that's affected our society by and large. Often, I feel like when we raise these type of topics, it becomes a left-right type of issue or kind of an us-versus-them type of issue. But in reality, as we live in a world saturated by conspiracy theories and fake news, it affects all of us in very unique ways. Are there any particular ways that you've seen in kind of small town ministries, you've connected with fellow pastors and ministry leaders, that this idea that truth is malleable or that it's all about power or this idea of kind of promoting fake news or even conspiracy theories, has that shaped ministry in small town life in unique or distinct ways at all? Well, I think definitely through the pandemic, you know, the pandemic did so much damage. You know, we're in a, we're in a very, like, uh, our county, is, it's very red county. And I think, um, you know, through the pandemic, we saw a lot of damage done with people, you know, sort of getting their truth or getting their news, um, you know, through a lot of those mediums that, that were just, you know, junk mediums, uh, conspiracy, you know, embedded in conspiracy theories. So it's very difficult, you know, um, because I, and I, and again, as a pastor, you know, I'll just speak personally as somebody who you know, doesn't use the, the pulpit as a way to get across political agendas or anything like that. Super careful about that. I mean, there were moments when, you know, um, even behind the pulpit, it was like, you guys, we, again, as a church, you know, we need to talk about discernment here. We need to talk about wisdom here. We need to talk about what we're filling our heads with. We need to talk about, you know, the way the world receives information, how they process information, the grid and the lens through which they process information. Well, that's not the grid and the lens that we have because of scripture, because of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. So there was this sense of always bringing it back to, hey, discernment and wisdom. And we need to, we need to use those things. God has given us those things. He's given us scripture as our baseline, as our foundation for how we are to look at even world events and all these different worldviews that are colliding. And let's remember, um, you know, that at the end of the day, um, I'm not here to tell you what to believe politically, but I, but I am here to encourage you in terms of what Christian character looks like as it's laid out in scripture. And so let's, let's lead through some of those things as a way to you know, disseminate some of these views and as a way to understand what our views should even be in some of these areas. So I think it's, I think it's done a lot of damage in the sense that it, it allows people to think 
they don't need to be discerning. In other words, we're letting social media be our wisdom and be our discernment. And of course, we would say, no, 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 no. The, the Holy Spirit is our, our wisdom and our discernment. And scripture is our wisdom and discernment. Very, very difficult. Uh, very difficult. Did a lot of damage. Um, and that's not just for small towns. You know, that's that was the church, uh, you know, across the, you know, across the globe. But I, I think it's, uh, you know, I, I don't know if I see that changing. I know that it's changing how we, some of the ways that we communicate to our people. And, you know, the Lord's in that, right? And so these are, these are, we can bemoan that or we can say, oh, it was so much better in the past. We can kind of grow into this sort of nostalgia driven Christian movement, or we can say, no, um, this is the moment we're in. And it's actually a call to greater wisdom. Let's embrace that. Let's do that. Yeah. I'm really encouraged to hear kind of the way you frame that in terms of wisdom and discernment. That's a lot of what we try to cultivate here on this podcast is being wise and discerning and kind of navigating the challenges, not as we hope them to be, but as they actually are. And you mentioned that idea of nostalgia, because I remember kind of thinking back to growing up, even there can be this nostalgic sense where in many ways we kind of gloss over the challenges, the real issues we were facing at the day where we just, man, Back in the 80s, it was so much better. It, we weren't X, Y, and Z, and there's, we didn't have X, Y, and Z challenges. And you see this especially on social media today where it's about parenting, kind of helicopter parenting. There's a lot of truth to this. But I remember you know, this idea, well, my parents just let me run to the walk quarry and jump in and do whatever I wanted, never checked in. And now I want to know where my kids are every five minutes and kind of what they're into type of thing. There can be this nostalgic longing for the past and even... I would say we can reframe that in kind of honoring the past, but also being present and where God has placed us and knowing that he's given us all, all things that we need that are sufficient, you know, with the scriptures and the power of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to be sufficient for the challenges that we face today, knowing there's a lot of upside, but there's also some challenges as well. I know one of the things that my pastor um, and professors over the years kind of uh, mentioned, and we had a lot of guys, especially when I was in seminary, who ended up going into small towns. I think this was wise advice. He mentioned, he said, day one going into pastoring a small church, uh, you're going to want to make a lot of changes. Uh, you might want to update the bulletin. You want might want to change X, Y, and Z. He said, you just need to be patient. You need to be slow and methodical and not kind of the idea of picking your battles per se, but the idea that it might take a while. Sometimes that bulletin means a lot more to the people in that church than you think it does. And there's a history and there's a context that you need to be aware of. And that's one of the chapters you write about in the book is this idea of patience and cultivating the sense and this virtue of patience that is and how people kind of how we apply that in kind of small town pastoral life. I'd love to see you kind of unpack that. We live in an incredibly fast paced society. What kind of encouragement would you give to small town pastors who may be facing some of those type of challenges where, you know, there's those old memes and kind of jokes that idea of, you know, day one, he goes in and changes the bulletin and the next week he doesn't have a job. Um, because now, granted, that may raise it to a little kind of hyper, hyperbolic status, but in some sense, uh, there are those things that are very near and dear to a church body, and that kind of fast pace, kind of let's just move fast and break things, and pace really doesn't bode well, especially in sometimes with small town context. So, what encouragement would you give pastors about how to, and then what ways they could kind of cultivate that sense of virtue of patience? It's a great question, I, and I think it works out probably different in different contexts. But I think, on a, generally speaking, you know, um, I think a you know a church in a small town is is not really, you know, if they're calling a new pastor, they're generally not looking for somebody to come in and change everything. They're looking for somebody to come in, and if they're a healthy church, they want you to maintain uh, their, 
you know, their health and their, their healthy traditions. And so I think because of the world we live in, number one, and number two, because of the bent of our hearts, um, we are always looking to do things quickly so that we can sort of be affirmed in, in sort of the work we're doing in that it's something that we can visibly see some change. So in other words, like, let's just take your, you take your example about the bulletins. You know, hey, I, I came in and this bulletin's horrible and the bulletin might be horrible, you know, but you come in, you change it and you got this great bulletin now. It has all this information. It has new photos. It has the new logo. But those things mean, you know, to, to, to tease out the history of how that bulletin, you know, came into being, you know, you're, you're going to be missing a lot of pieces in that. And at the end of the day, that's going to make you feel like you're you're doing something that's progressing, you know, the church. When in reality, that's not really what they're looking for you to do, you know. And you know the the things that we do that are unseen and that do take patience and are more uh, plotting, you know, by nature, which is just you know listening to people, praying with people, preaching, you know, preaching good sermons, you know. Um, those are the things that don't feel like we're accomplishing much and we don't see the immediate fruit in those things. But those are the things that I think, you know, in the long term are, are, are what produce the fruit for us. So I would say to a guy that's coming in to a small town, um, just um, uh, give yourself time. Give yourself time to, uh, to get some perspective on the lay of the land. Ask a lot of questions allow people to see that you're somebody who is interested in their lives and listening to them and discovering and learning about who they are, the history of the church, the three or four dudes that came before you most likely, because the church is 150 years old. And you can only imagine how much that would mean to them and how much more it would mean to them um, than getting in and doing the first things that are the easiest things to do, which is, hey, we're going to rip up that carpet. Hey, we're going to change the stage configuration. We're going to, we're going to redo the bulletin. Those things should probably come in time. But if you, if you give yourself over to the hearts of the people, they're going to be much more uh, receptive to you making those changes down the road, because those just aren't things that need to happen right away. And what you're saying when you do that is that you're coming into something that you are seeing as being flawed and instead of saying, no, 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 what you guys have done here is good. And you've done a lot of good work. I want to acknowledge that. I want to learn more about it. Hey, we'll make some changes down the road because we got to. You know, we, we, we have to be a church that is fluid. Um, we can't be a church that becomes fossilized. But doesn't mean it has to happen today either, you know, because relationships are what need to propel these types of changes. That's hard to do. That's really hard to do. But I think if, if, if you go in with that mentality and you, you go in very prayerfully with those, like you said, the word expectation is really good. I think you'll do okay. I think you'll do better. One of the things you mentioned that, that I thought was really interesting in that idea of honoring the past. Uh, you know, likely this church is, you know, 80, 100 years old. It may be younger in some sense, but actually have a much longer history that you might not be aware of in terms of church planting. Mm-hmm. I put that in quotes uh, we don't obviously have video, but the idea of church planting, uh, often that used to be church splitting, um, where there was a split that happened. There is a history there, and people remember that, especially in a more of a small town context. And I like that idea of kind of honoring the past and honoring the history and saying, you know, I know that there were people who came before us, 
And there are people who will come after us as well, but we're building that legacy and that faithfulness and being present in the community. And I think that kind of ties into one of the last questions I wanted to ask you in the sense, I know sometimes it's a temptation. I don't want to say this is like a widespread issue, but I've seen it in many contexts uh, where especially young men will come in and see kind of small town pastoring, small town churches is almost a stepping stone to something bigger. I'll be here for a few years and I'll go to something bigger and then I'll go to something bigger and then I'll go to something bigger. The next thing you know, maybe I'll be at a quote mega church and that's where I'll retire per se. But one of the things I'm encouraged by you and by Donnie and this kind of many of the small town pastors is saying, no, we're committed. We're here. You know, we're here as long as the Lord has us. Maybe it's four years. Maybe it's for our lifetime. Maybe we die here. We don't know. But that faithfulness in cultivating leaders and raising up leaders, I think it's sometimes easier in a larger context to bring in a whole bunch of extremely well-trained staff or people from the outside. But especially when you're in a small town context, you must develop leaders. You're challenged to do that. So what are some of the resources, maybe even kind of the encouragement that you would give to small town pastors, small town leaders about cultivating, kind of raising up the next generation? What are things are you doing in y'all's local church or even with Donnie and others to kind of raise up and to disciple that next generation of leaders? Yeah, I think um, we try to keep it, we try to keep it really simple, you know. Um, so even our model is is very simple. Um, you know, we're in terms of discipleship, you know, we're, we're trying to, we're trying to develop, you know, like a lot of churches are just micro communities within the church so that people kind of get out of the context of their family generations and learn how to serve one another and, um, grow in their biblical knowledge together in their wisdom that, that comes with that. Um, so I think those are the two biggest things is, are we growing in our, in our, in our knowledge of the word in our love for Jesus and in our love for one another? And what are just some very simple, practical and repetitive rhythmic ways that, that we can go about doing that? Because the, the tendency is to, you know, a, a small town works a lot like a suburban community these days where we, you know, a lot of people are commuting in for work. And we get home and we just sort of shut the garage and we're just, we're kind of in, you know? And so a lot of it, I think, is saying, all right, how do we, um, how do we break down some of those, um, those rhythms and open ourselves up to one another in, in a way that is, you know, not being so self-focused. And um, so I, I think those are just some, some of the small things that, that we're a- attempting to do. I forget the larger part of your question, um, but th- those are just some simple, easy things that we're engaging in. Yeah. Are there any types of resources that you'd recommend? Obviously, we want people to pick up a copy of Pastoring Small Towns that recently released from B&H, but obviously outside of this book, are there other kind of encouragements that have been um, or resources that have been helpful for you as you're doing that kind of work in the small towns? Yeah, in terms of leaders, um, what I'm always doing is, um, in my context, is it's a little more my personality too, but I'm you know, what I'm trying to do with our leaders and with our pastors and with our staff people, our elders, is I want to get them, I want to get them more into what I would say is, is the productivity of the heart over the hands. So we, we're in a, we're in a culture where everybody's very hardworking. Not only do they have their 40 hour week job, but they have their three side businesses they've started as well. And everybody really works. So they, they understand what hard work is. They're good at it. Um, They're successful at it. They understand what it means that you know to be productive with your hands. So for me, I say, how do we be productive with our hearts? 
And um, so I'm, I'm getting resources for my leaders like The Imperfect Pastor by Zach S. Wine or Contemplative Pastor by Eugene Peterson, or I'm, I'm getting us into some Pete Scazzaro. It's like, hey, how do we, how do we grow in our emotional EQ? Um, how do we learn how to uh, express our hearts to one another a little bit better and say, hey, this is hard for me. These are things that I struggle with. Um, how do we learn how to confess our sins to one another? Um, those are the challenges. So I'm, I'm always kind of leaning into uh, heart-oriented resources for everybody um, rather than books that might be a little more practical in, in nature. So when we do leadership training, we're, we're diving into practical things. And then when it comes to, uh, when it comes to you know, getting with leaders, getting with elder teams, getting with pastoral staff, my emphasis there is, hey, what, what, what's going on in our hearts? And, and how, do we, how do we enlarge our hearts toward one another, toward the people we're serving, ultimately towards Christ, so that we are not people that are just bottling things up all the time? And the other thing that we do is we really emphasize counseling. Um, we work with a, a semi-local counseling agency uh, nearby. And we are, we are constantly encouraging people to, you know, especially when it's gone beyond our pay grade, um, but just to sit down with people outside of even of our circle, that's helpful and get, get good counseling. It's not a shameful thing to get counseling. I'm, you know, I'm in counseling. Um, I'm always telling people, Hey, I'm, I'm, I was, in, I was, you know, I, I go to counseling twice a month right now and um, don't be ashamed to do that. You know, le- learn to get into a place where you're, you're unpacking some of these things that you just kept quiet about, you know, most of your life. And so I, I think, I think for me, it's uh, some, some of those resources pressing into heart oriented uh, work, uh, I think have been most valuable for me. Now, those are all really helpful and we'll make sure to include those in the the show notes here on the podcast for listeners to pick up. Um, but Ronnie, I really appreciate it. This has been a really fun conversation, but also um, this is a really helpful little book, Pastoring Small Towns from B&H Trade. I encourage folks to grab that from Ronnie Martin and Donnie Griggs. Um, but Ronnie, thank you for your ministry. Thank you for, for the work that you're doing and um, for the encouragement today. And thank you for joining us today here on the Digital Public Square. Grateful. Thank you, brother. Well, from all of us here at the Digital Public Square, I want to say thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, would you consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, your favorite podcasting app? These reviews really help us to know how we're doing and also to share the word about the podcast with others. As a reminder, connect with Ronnie and learn more about his new book that he co-wrote with Donnie Griggs called Pastoring Small Towns, as well as the recommended resources we talked about in the show notes. Also, make sure to sign up to receive the Weekly Tech email briefing that comes out each Monday morning. This resource is designed to prepare you to think deeply about the pressing ethical issues of technology today, as well as to stay up to date on the latest technology news. You can subscribe at jasonthacker.com slash weeklytech. The Digital Public Square is a production of the Research Institute at the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission and is produced and hosted by Jason Thacker. Production assistance is provided by Caden Christian and technical production provided by Owens Productions. It's edited and mixed by Mark Owens. Thank you and I hope you have a great week.